Chapter One of *The Hawk of Egypt* by Joan Conquest, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter One, for in the days we knew not of did fate begin weaving the web of days that wove your doom. Swinburne, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah. Across the golden glory of the sky floated the insistent call of the muezzin, just as Damaris, followed closely by Wellington, her bulldog, turned out of the narrow street into the Khan el Khalidi. Shrill and sweet, from far and near it came, calling the faithful to prayer, impelling merchants to leave their wares, buyers their purchases, gossips their chatter, and to turn in the direction of Mecca and offer their praise to Allah, who is God. As the entire male population of the native quarter knelt, the girl drew back beneath an awning of many colors, which shaded silken goods from the rays of the sun, whilst curious eyes peeped down on her from behind the shelter of the Masharabia, the harem lattice of finely carved wood. Yards of silk of every hue lay tumbled inside and outside of the dukan, or shop in the silk market, silken scarves, plain and embroidered, hung from strings, Silk shawls were spread upon Persian carpets, a veritable riot of color against the yellow-white plaster of the shop walls, above which flamed the sky, a cloak of blue, embroidered in rose and gold and amethyst. The native women, behind the shelter of the wood lattice, or the yashmak, or the all-enveloping burku, talked softly together as they watched the beautiful girl, who serenely and quite unveiled walked amongst men with an animal of surpassing hideousness at her heels. She stood with her head uncovered, it is permissible at sunset, and with her face lifted, as she listened to the call to prayer, so that a sun-ray slitting in through the silks blazed down upon the positively red curls which rioted all over her head, and were of a tone sharper than henna, yet many times removed from the shades of red known as carrots or ginger. Her skin was matte, her mouth crimson and curved, her teeth perfect, and her heavily lashed eyes of so deep a purple as to appear black. She was slim and supple, unencumbered by anything more confining than a suspender-belt, a fortnight off her eighteenth birthday, and entirely lovable in looks, ways, and temperament in the eyes of all mankind, which includes women." The prayer over, and the men again about the business of the hour, she inquired her way of the vendor of silks who, having quickly replaced his shoes, had as hastily returned to his shop, his heart rejoicing at the prospect of perhaps one or two hours more bargaining. For where is to be found the Oriental who knows the value of time? Loving animals, Damaris wanted to find that corner near the silk market, where can be purchased anything from a camel to a hunting cheetah, a greyhound to a falcon. It is not wise for European women to saunter about the old Arabian quarter unaccompanied, especially if they have been blessed by the gods in the ways of looks. Damaris Heathencourt most certainly ought not to have been there, but you must perforce follow the path fate has marked out for you, whether it leads through country lanes, or Piccadilly, or the Arab quarter of Cairo. The vendor of silk salaamed deeply before her beauty and the graciousness of her manner, for she smiled when she talked, and spoke the prettiest broken Arabic in the world. So, putting the huge two-year-old bulldog, which one day was to claim the proud title of champion, on the leash, she wended her way through the narrow streets in which two camels may scarce squeeze past each other, and where the Masharabiyah of the harems 
almost meet overhead. Water-carriers, camels, sweetmeat-sellers, lowly women in black gown and yashmak, coffee-sellers, donkeys which continually bray, and dogs which unceasingly bark, cracking of whips, shrill cries of darik yasit, or mushu, thy back, lady, or sir, shouts of ua, ua, clashing of bronze ware, snarls of anger, laughter, song, dust, and color, all the ingredients which go to the entrancement of the bazaar. And the odors? Scent and perfume, aroma and odor, cedars of Lebanon and harem musk, tang of the sandy sea, fume of the street, the trail of smoke and onions, the milk of goats, the reek of humanity, the breath of kine. Make a bundle of that, and tie it with the silken lashes of women's eyes, secure it with the steel of a needle-pointed knife, and leave it at that. There is no describing the smell of the East. The sale of really good animals, the other kind you can buy by lifting a finger in the streets, takes place twice a month in a small square near the souk en Nalishin, but as the way to it leads through many dirty and twisting lanes, few Europeans ever get so far. The stock is tethered to iron rings in the ground. The vendors squat nearby, but at a safe distance from teeth, claws, or hooves. The purchasers stand still farther off. There sometimes occurs a free fight, when the length of chain that tethers the jaguar next the hunting cheetah is too long by a foot or so, and the noise is always deafening. Abdul, falconer of Shamar, which district is to be found on the holy road to Mecca, being of that locality specializes in the shaheen, which is a species of hawk, visits the market by appointment only, and being independent and a specialist, does not always keep that appointment. Damaris turned suddenly into the market, and hurriedly looked round for shelter, which she found in an arched doorway leading to the usual court of the native house. Zaluna, the courtesan, peered down upon her from between the silken curtains of her balcony, and clapped her hands twice so that her woman-slaves ran quickly to watch and whisper about this white woman, who stood unattended in the open market. They giggled in the insufferable eastern way, and pointed across the square, where the whole of the male population surged about two men. But Zulana, the recognized beauty of the north of Egypt, shrugged her dimpled shoulders as she stuffed over-large portions of sweetmeats between her dazzling teeth, and stretched herself upon a divan to watch the scene over the way. Abdul, falconer of Shamar, bearded and middle-aged, stood with a shaheen of Jaraza upon his fist, and a hooded ayaz, which means a young hawk or nestling taken from the nest, of the same species upon a padded and spiked perch beside him, whilst hooded or with sealed eyes upon perch or bough were other yellow or dark-eyed birds of prey, short-winged hawks, a bearded vulture, a hobby, a passage sakir. But it was not upon Abdul or his stock that the girl's eyes rested, nor, peradventure, the eyes behind the silken curtains. The central figure of the glowing picture was that of Hugh Cardin Ali, the eldest and best-beloved son of Hamad, the Sheikh el Umbar, and Jill, his beautiful English and one and only wife, the son conceived in a surpassing love and born upon the desert sands. "'An Englishman,' said Damaris softly, as she withdrew yet further into the sheltering doorway and unleashed the dog, and still further back, when the man suddenly turned and looked across the square as though in search of someone. "'No, a native,' she added, as she noticed the crimson tarbouche. "'And yet—' 
She was by no means the first to wonder as to the nationality of the man. In riding-kit, with boots from Peter Yap, he looked, except for head-covering, exactly like an Englishman. Certainly the shape of the face was slightly more oval than is common to the sons of a northern race, but nothing really out of the ordinary, just as the eyes were an ordinary kind of brown, with a disconcerting way of looking suddenly into your face, sweeping it in an all-comprehensive lightning glance, and looking indifferently away. The nose was good and quite straight, the hair thick, brown, and controllable, the mouth covering the perfect teeth was deceptive, or maybe it was the strength of the jaw which belied the gentleness, just as the slimness of the six foot of body, trained to a hair from babyhood, gave no clue to the steel muscles underlying a skin as white and a good deal whiter than that of some Europeans. He moved with the quickness and quietness of those accustomed to the far horizon as a background. He was slow in speech, and dead slow in anger, until aroused by opposition. For the physically weak-born he had the gentle sympathy of the very strong. For the physically undeveloped and the morally weak he had no use whatever, none. In the West his reserve with men had been labelled taciturnity or swollen-headedness, which did not fit the case at all, whilst, in spite of his perfect manner towards them, his indifference to women and mass, or to the individual, was supreme and sincere. He was the direct descendant of the founder of Nineveh, where horses were concerned, and his stables in the oasis of Kargeg would have been one of the sites of Egypt, had he permitted sightseers. Educated at Harrow, where he had excelled in sport, and captained the eleven at Lord's for two succeeding years, respected by the upper forms, and worshipped by the lower, he had developed the English side of his dual nationality, until masters and schoolfellows had come to look upon him as one of themselves. From Harrow he had gone to Brazenose, then had quite suddenly thrown up the varsity, and returned to Egypt. Love? Not at all, for was not his indifference to women supreme and sincere? Just the inevitable ending of a very commonplace, sordid little story which had taught the youth one of life's bitterest lessons. One of a multitude of guests at Hurdley Castle, he had met a woman, beautiful but predatory, whose looks were taking on an autumnal tint, and whose banking account had shrivelled under the frost of extravagance. His utter indifference to her wiles and her beauty culminated in a degrading scene of anger on her part, when, forgetting her breeding, her birth, and her nationality, she had first of all twitted him and then openly laughed at his mixed parentage. He had stood without uttering a word, white to the lips during her tirade. "'Do you think that any white woman would marry you, a half-caste?' had cried the woman, whose bills were coming in in shoals. "'Yes, many,' he had quietly assured, as he bent to pick up her torn handkerchief. "'Am I not a rich man?' He had returned to Egypt upon a visit to the flat oasis, where dwelt his parents, who, though noting the indescribable hurt in the eyes of their firstborn, yet asked no question, for in Egypt a youth is his own master, and oft-times married at the age of fourteen. How much more, therefore, is he a man at over twenty years? He had visited his own house in the oasis of Kergag, with the purpose of putting his stables in order and his falconers through a stiff catechism, and had finally set out to see something of the world. Not in a desire to cover his hurt, for he was as stoical as any high-bred Arab, and, Mohammedan from belief as well as early training, did not kick against what he looked upon as the commands of Allah. As for women, well, the sweet, docile women of his father's race interested him not at all, 
so that he refused to listen to any hint about the desirability of his taking a wife and establishing the secession of the house an Mahaba, which is the eldest branch of the house el umbar and racial distinction barred him from the virile lovely women of his mother's race he had his horses his hawks his hunting cheetahs his dogs one great treasure which he prized and one little conceit the treasure had been found in the ruins of the temple der al bahari an ornament of gold set with precious stones its shape was that of the hawk which had stood as the symbol of the north in the glorious days of ancient egypt the wings were of emeralds tipped with rubies gold were the claws and gold the symbol of life they held the body and tail were a mass of precious stones and the eye of some jet-black stone unknown to the present century as an ornament it was thought of great value as an antiquity found in the shrine of anubis the god of death its value could not even be guessed at and how it had come into the possession of hugh garden ali will never be known though of a truth unlimited wealth works wonders and upon his horse's saddle-cloths his falcon's hoods his hound's coats and the fine linen and satins of his eastern raiment he had the emblem worked in thread or silk or jewels or painted in soft colours it was just a pretty conceit but in conjunction with one half of his lineage and his love for birds it had earned him the title of the hawk of egypt and such was the man as he stood in the market-place having followed the path which fate had marked out for him through the twisting lanes of the bazaar. End of chapter 1 Read by Sibella Denton For more information, please visit LibriVox.org